No, I just want the mic in the right. I just want him talking into the right part of the mic. I can suck on it if you want. I was just going to say it's like a blowjob. Like, if you're getting a bad blowjob, you just want to just stop it halfway through and fix it rather than... It's, it's very similar in shape to Scopoletti's, except it's 44 times bigger. And it's black. And that, too. But he's Italian, so he's half black anyway. <laughs> Yeah, because the Moors went into Italy and just had their way with those people. That part you have to put on. That's got to be on. That the Moors did go into Italy and have their way with they, those people. They did. He's Sicilian. Oh, they yeah, those were the ones that they had their way with. How come every Italian says they're Sicilian, but Sicily's like the size of Manhattan? And every Italian's like, no, oh, I'm, I'm joking. I don't know if he's Sicilian or not. Well, I, if they're really Sicilian, they speak that Genovese or whatever. Like, my, it's my, like a different dialect of Italian. My, my Italian side of his family is not from Sicily. Your italicized family? <laughs> did I say italicized? I don't know, but it, <laughs> I probably could have. I heard because you know I did. I ate um, just a stem. You ate just. I ate stem. just a stem. So this is the microcast. <laughs> I don't get it. Just a stem of a. Just a stem. It might have had a little of a, fun, cap a fungal on the stem. End. Amanita muscaria. Now I'm lost. A fungal stem. The kind of the psilocybin. Keep going. Mushrooms. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my God! You are a dad. <laughs> I have to turn my brain to one side or the other. That both sides don't work at the oh, same yeah, time. Because we're gonna get into your um, we're gonna get into your thing. So I think we've got everything rolled. I think everybody's got a drink. Yeah. Um, I think it. Uh, do you mind gentlemen. if I use your last name? All right. No cheers. I mean, you may as well. please. Seriously. Excuse me, we have a whole crew here. We're, we're burning film. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to sound it out to yourself like Alprin. we're in third grade. Yes. Amazing. Okay. Alprin? Alprin. Yeah, Alprin. How was that difficult? Do you want me to... Spell it? A-L-P-R-I-N. <laughs> do, do you want me to put a, like a real hard pronunciation on the P, the R, Alprin, Alperin... <laughs> I mean, only if we're doing fucking theater. Alprin sounds like a pharmaceutical Al medication. Alprin. Do you want the print soft or hard? <laughs> Definitely hard. I want it all hard. Anything I can hard. do to hey, have it all it hard. This is the Altered Cognition Podcast. I am your host, Nicholas Breen. I am here with my co-host, Jesse Green. And today is a very special edition. Light up your blunts, light your joints, sit back, relax, get ready to listen. We have our first guest it is the mysterious international man of mystery. Yes, the very mysterious comedy DJ Greg <laughs> Alprin. The Gregalicious. Yes, at the Gregalicious on Instagram. You can find him in the booth at the Sea Grape every Monday night, kind of curating the music for the show. Curation. Kind of doing all the hard work, making the lists from the email signups and the posters. Exactly. Photoshop plagiarism. Let's talk about unhinged comedy a little bit. Shoot. Unhinged comedy is your thing with uh, comedian Nicholas Scopoletti. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what unhinged is trying to do other than have a Monday show at the Sea Grade? Oh, that's easy. We, well, I'll tell you how we got started. That, right? You can start wherever you'd like. It may be of interest to nobody but me. So I met Nick at the gym. Nick was my trainer at Equinox. If you can't tell, I'm jacked. Well, thanks to Nicholas Scopoletti. And I went to see him one night at um, Stress Factory, Bridgeport, to see an open mic. And after he did his three minutes, I was incredibly depressed and angered at how good he was for someone that did comedy two or three times prior to that. Same how I feel about you when I saw you the first couple times. Thank you. Made me angry, um, but in a good way. And after talking to him and seeing him a few times, I looked into what was going on down this way um, in open mics, and there was really nothing. It was the stress factory, and then nothing between uh, Bridgeport and the city. Yeah, so, so just to clarify for everyone, we're in uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut, and um, a lot of the open mics were in the Hartford area. Uh, Western Mass. Norwich, yeah, you know. Springfield, Mass. Places uh, I wasn't going. Long, you know, hour, hour and a half drives for yeah. anyone in Fairfield County. So 
I started looking into it, realized there was nothing going on, and an abundance of great talent, guys trying to make it and do their thing, and I very much respect that. So I talked to Nick about, why don't we try doing our own? Spent a little bit of time hunting down some locations to do it, and living in Fairfield, I really only wanted to invest in town if I was going to do something. And the drive is shorter. <laughs> it's very that's short. That's what that means. That's what that it's, really means. That's a I'm, really that's I'm, a that's a very political way of saying I'm the drive lazy. is shorter. Um, I just wanted it's no it to be close. On this well, no, I figured. I no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, you figure there's one in Bridgeport already. Why compete with Bridgeport? Let's bring it down a little bit. And we were lucky enough to stumble <laughs> into the Sea Grape, and they had which a, is the best a, amazing location to do it on the beach. With a great stage, awesome sound system, cool bar, you know, a little rough at times. And we just started throwing it together and we literally were flying by the seat of our fucking pants. So that makes a lot of sense for a comedian to want to start a, uh, a, an open mic or, or a curated comedy show, which is what it, it has really become. Yep. Because an open mic technically, I believe, has sign up sheets. Whereas right. this, they have to email you and you kind of pick the order and kind of curate the show, which is really, really awesome. So it makes a lot of sense for a comedian to want to do this. Uh, what I want to kind of delve into really quick off the bat, because it's going to kind of feed into what we're going to talk about this podcast, is what makes someone like you, a dad, a businessman, someone with a life, someone with a career, someone with other things going on, have the inclination to want to do something kind of in the entertainment, you know, not a normal person doesn't just go to their friend that's a comedian and say, hey, let's start a, a, not just a comedy show, but a, a, a comedy promotion uh, outfit, basically. Well, I mean, I've I promoted nightclubs and bars and big parties my entire initial adult life. So when I went to college in Boston, I worked in nightclubs. I promoted two of the best nightclubs in Boston. And when I moved to New York City, I just started rolling that through. And even though I had a full-time job, I never really left the nightlife world. And it's just in my blood. So, you know, of course, things happen. And I'm an entrepreneur, right? So I've never worked for anybody ever in my life besides myself, except I caddied, <laughs> you know, whatever. And well, you had a paper route when you were younger. No, I didn't. I didn't. I worked for my dad, you know. You caddied. So I caddied twice, and then I quit. Did you ever go door to door and try to sell stuff to your neighbors when you were young? Only chocolate bars <laughs> for football. So, you know, that's that type of thing has always been in my blood. I'm a marketer, so I know how to market, right? I think so that's you're a pretty brand guy. obvious. I'm a brand guy. Right. So there was just a need and I didn't really think that much about it, to be honest. You know, and I'm luckily lucky in the place in my career where I don't have to grind every day. Right. I'm at my own free will. I, well, you, you know, grind in a different way. You don't have to right. grind a nine to five. But I I'm don't. sure when you're traveling and you're making your moves, you're grinding. Totally. Totally. But. You know, I, I don't have to wake up at 6 and be in the office by 7.30 and stay till 6 and come home and do that every day. I just don't have, you know, I'm lucky. I don't have to do that. I do my own thing. I make my own schedule. I go into the city three, four days a week. But, you know, I, I have the time at this point to look around and see where I want to invest into some new fun things. And that's what this is for me. Okay, so... Um, and truthfully, it's because of, there's so much talent around and, you know, I built some good relationships with all of you guys. There's some dudes like you and Nick and Carlin that I'm much closer with than other guys. But, you know, I saw all this coming up and I'm a talent person. I have an eye for talent. I've represented talent. I've developed TV. I've developed film. So and this is, and I, this is what I want to get into. You know, I want to how did how did being a, like a party promoter, you're in a certain <laughs> scene, you're in a certain set. How did this you know, you're you're seeing talent. You're seeing people who maybe have like the time to party. Right. Partying. Sure. It's it's not it's not cheap to party in New York. Nope. Um, so you see, how did this kind of roll into you representing talent? Obviously, you're a people person. You understand branding, so you're kind of putting two dots together with a with a line. But how did how did that happen? So it all goes back to Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> <laughs> like so. like a girl that you were dating and tried <laughs> nope. to stick her finger in your nope. Trent Reznor. Oh, oh, the oh, the band Nine right. Inch Nails. Not actually Nine Inch Nails. So Trent Reznor, the composer. Because I got a story actually. about like right. six and a right. half inch nails. The Academy Award-winning Trent Reznor. Um, you want to tell that story first? 
No, no, no. I just. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I, I, may, I, I may write a bit about it. You'll hear it. At Fuck, some it was point. so close. So, I was a huge Trent Reznor Nine Inch Nails fan in the early days of Nine Inch Nails. And it was late 90s. He just came out with Downward, Downward Spiral, and they were doing one of these radio shows, right? And I desperately wanted to get in. And I had no way in. Couldn't buy a ticket. You had to win these tickets. I'm like, bull fucking shit. I know everybody in this town. I'm going to find my way into this concert. Could not do it. So I happened to have a friend who was a publicist at a record label who I talked to. And she said, call this person. Tell them you have something and you want to go in. So I completely made up a story. Called the publicist for Nine Inch Nails. Said, I have a music magazine. I want to go cover the show. And... Literally, without even a thought, the guy was like, no problem. Meet me at the Heartland Brewery, and I'll give you your passes in the next... It was literally the now, next day. Now, what year was this? <sighs> Late 90s. So the internet was not the tool that it is today. There oh, was God, no, no way for them to look you God, up and no. say, hey, what's the name of your magazine? No, so the, I, unbel- like, just coincidentally, I happened to, like a week before, start a website for my business I had with my dad. And we were in the costume jewelry tchotchke business so tchotchkes for anyone that's not uh, a jew from the new york area is like little trinkets yeah, and I mean, just stuff that your grandma would have on a shelf that she does off once every week also known as garbage so i had this website i used it as the conduit when he asked me the name of it and i got the tickets in Literally the next day after the show, I called up a friend who was in the web development business at the time, and, and I told him he needs to build me a fucking website that's a concert music-related website. And that literally started my entertainment career. So you basically did what I've heard a lot of people say that smart people do. They launched a rocket, and then they build it. They continue to build it while it's going up. So you basically kind of like got a client, you got an interview, you got something, and then you needed a place to put it. Pretty much. Pretty much. I got completely lucky. And then the week after was another concert I wanted to go to. And I called up a different publicist because these other two publicists directed me to this other publicist. Yeah, because once you're, once you're in the door and you're getting a recommendation from another publicist. That's all I needed. It's kind of a stamp. And I'm still friends with that person to this day. And then I got into that show, and then I legit had this fake business that I'm like, hmm, there's something to this. So I built a music magazine for 10 years as a side gig that turned into being a pretty well-known and respected music magazine. And profitable, I assume? Mm, arguable. Not really. A okay. little bit. A little, little bit. bit, but at first, at first it was like I mean, instead, profitable to me personally. Well, I, I was going to say at first you're working. It's not like you're making any money, but the pay value that you're getting is you're going to these shows. When you're saying you're getting into these shows, you're not getting the extra seats left in the nosebleed. No. So I went from in that 10 year period, I went to see live music. Probably it started out five nights a week. I was going to everything that came through New York City, Long Island, New Jersey. Pick a show. I went to it. Everything from. The shittiest of a band in a two twenty-five person venue now you to got, Elton now, John. Now at the you, I was gonna say you gotta remember now Elton John and all these guys are in their sixties and seventies and they're rocking the fuck out. Back then they were twenty-five years younger, twenty years younger. You must have yeah. seen some amazing shows. Oh, I mean listen And you must have seen some greats that are no longer with us. Oh, of course. I mean, I saw bands well, first of all, I lived through the entire boy band craze, right? So I saw every single fucking boy band, <laughs> like up close, serenading me in press events that you can name, like uh, Insync, Backstreet Boys. I mean, and those were just such a huge entities that were just basically churned out and pushed by publicists and right. A&Rs and, and record companies. What it did is when I started that magazine, I did ninety percent. No, I did fifty percent of the work myself. So I did all the writing all the interviewing, and I had one of my good friends who was a photographer that came with me to everything to shoot the shows. So he shot them, I wrote them. And we saw so much bad music over the first few years of that that it made me sick. And then one day I just turned the switch, and I'm like, I'm done with this pop shit, and I turned this music magazine from 
mostly pop stuff, top 40 at the time, you know, because they still sold CDs and people would sell 5 million CDs a, a week, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, like they would sell that kind of shit. And then I was done. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm doing, a, <laughs> I'm doing a hard rock magazine. And I totally ter- changed it overnight to be hard rock and metal. Yeah, that, that was back in the days when you would use the internet to buy CDs. Oh, for sure. Imagine sure. you would use the internet to buy CDs and you could sell your CDs. You could sell your physical CDs anywhere in the world because of this great like order form that they had invented called the internet or the Columbia record and tape club. <laughs> I still owe them so much money. <laughs> so does everybody in the world. I still have a box of those. <laughs> so that started my writing career, right? So I started writing everything. And I was right? going to say, so you're writing this thing and I've seen that you have some writing credits on IMDB. I do, but those are shitty credits. You have some credits that go so far back that you didn't even really remember what it was about. I don't. Because it was just a project that you've worked on. And that's funny because I remember when I was making music pretty prolifically, every once in a while you'd run into someone you made songs with six, seven, eight months ago or a year ago or even two years ago, and they'll play something for you. Hey, remember when we made this? And you're hearing yourself do original music. and. It's tr- you, you know, don't listen, remember it. Yeah, I listen to a lot of, a lot of radio. I listen to, I watch a ton of documentaries, and especially music documentaries because it's like that's me. me. Me and music are the same thing. So, I'll watch a documentary and you'll see hear guys talk about songs they wrote thirty years ago and then not be able to sing the lyrics, and people are dumbfounded by that. And I, it's legit. Like I, I contributed to that screenplay you're talking about, my happy ending. Yeah, my that happy was, ending. I, I That's write, the first thing that comes up on your IMDb. A, I, I write with a partner, right? So we are writing tandem, and it was really his project, and I, I really contributed to that after we sold it, and I can't tell you today what I wrote or really what it's a comedy, of course, and you know you can make of it what you want out of the name, but I can't tell you what that thing is about. Like deep, dig deep, no chance. It was ten years ago. And I've written 40 things since then. So <laughs> it's like I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. Anymore. So you've got plenty, plenty to talk about. You said you've written 40 things. So I've heard in past just conversation with you that you've told me you've had TV pilots. Yep. Were those things that you wrote or were those things that you were uh, produ- producing on? Or? So that all happened the same. This is going back to my writing out of the magazine. So Okay, so out of the magazine. Yeah, let's get back so to where we're. In the magazine, I wrote everything. And then my, wa- my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, had a roommate here in Bridgeport who is, to this day, the funniest person I've ever met. To this day, the funniest person I've ever met. And she dated my roommate for a while, and not my wife, her roommate, and she wound up being a lesbian. Not wound up, was a lesbian. Right. And oh, your wife hung out with her a lot? They, they were roommates. Oh, so you're, there was definitely, it, it you know. Be, I don't know. Maybe, she, yeah. You know, a, they lived a in good, Bridgeport. A good friend helps in, a friend in, figure in, out who they are. Listen, everyone has a dark day. He turned so um, red when I said that, and he called it a dark day, but really, uh, he's turning redder. You can get that out of me. So she moved to South Carolina. Thank right? God for you. You must have been so relieved. <laughs> no, Joni, if you're listening, I love you. I love you. So she moves to South Carolina as a full-blown lesbian to a southern town, <laughs> right? A full-blown lesbian. Oh my God! Your local well, lesbian gone wild. That's almost. That's almost. That's like almost a hate crime. You can't say that because that like reminds me of full-blown AIDS. Well, and you're saying that AIDS is basically by saying full-blown AIDS is lesbian, gone. you're there's saying no that AIDS, AIDS is a disease. There's still lesbians. Plenty though. of lesbians. Yeah, exactly. Like, lesbians no will AIDS. never be gone. Let never, never. So she moves. To South Carolina. I can't look at you if you're going to do that. And for her, her way of meeting friends is she went out and started this co-ed gay kickball team. Right? Meetup.com. Right? They, they have it right now where people go online and they meet up to play kickball, softball, well, cornhole. She okay, so started she, this yeah. team, co-ed gay, gay kickball, and she was telling us this story just about her kickball team. Just one day in conversation, and it was the funniest thing I ever fucking heard. They had like tranny cheerleaders that would come to these games dressed in like cheerleading outfits and they're like you know cross-dressers and just the stories were hysterical so I was relaying that one night to a friend in the film business who knew I wrote and was like you should write that as a screenplay and I'm like I don't know how to write a fucking screenplay like I don't know nothing about that I barely can read so 
I was like, but I'll take that advice. And I went out and found someone who was a credited screenwriter just through some internet research. I contacted a shit ton of people and we wrote this screenplay. And it's just a comedy about co-ed gay kickball called Kick. And I, being resourceful and knowing how to market, I just started contacting everybody I possibly could in the film industry and started pitching this script around town. And you would just get their numbers from websites, magazines, industry, No, no, industry I mean, I was, I'm things. in the business. Like, I'm in, at the time, so I was in the business. So you had industry publications. Well, I had my music magazine, so I was entrenched in the music world. Oh, because you had your music, music thing, world. so you had c- contacts, people right. with Rolodexes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a few people put, pointed me in the right directions of different, you know, people at talent agencies, and this screenplay started making its rounds around town and really took on a life of its own and got me a, a really a good amount of attention for writing, you know, on the project that led me down the road to different talent agents. And it just built my own, lev- my own relationships with people directly from something that I wrote, which led me to so all back, these other relationships. So back then they were giving out development deals and stuff. Did you ever get any sort of a development deal? No, no. You were I, more of like an independent Yeah, I, t- I didn't ever want one. I wanted to keep my independence. I was never offered one either, so I don't want to make it out like I was. But I liked having my hand in a lot of different places and being able to go to who I wanted with a given project, right? So so you were like a cross between, I don't want to say Harvey Weinstein, but like the Weinstein. <laughs> good, you were, good, you good. Were, you were like a, you were like a, you were almost like a George Lucas, not in that you're making Star Wars, but in that like you were your own, you were writing your own things. You were kind of like trying to shop them around by yourself. Right. You were all in house doing everything yes, for yourself. Right. So you know, I wound up finding a good entertainment lawyer and a good agent for one project, and then I would develop something else, and I would have a different agent on that project, and it all just rolled into each other, right? Because none of them really overlapped with each other. Once Kick sort of ran its course and nothing was going to happen on that, I started developing television, and that came out of a consultancy that I had. Before you go on, I just want to touch on the fact you said once it ran its course and nothing happened with that. That's not like a, a lot of people would say, oh, man, I'm so disappointed. But this is like part of the business is that things will have money, time, effort put into them, go to a certain point and then be dropped for whatever reason or another. And that's a very normal thing in the business. Correct. And that almost like, well, it's not a bad mark against you that you wrote this it's and, and pushed it and it didn't go anywhere. It might be that. Ten of the people that saw it and worked on it are going, hey, I want to see this dude's next thing. I mean, there's a hundred different reasons why shit dies. Oh, of course. That died because I took it as far as I thought I could. At the time, you know, this is now almost 10, like 2012, 2010. I I don't remember exactly. but Oh, this is recently. Yeah, this is between 10 10 years ago-ish. So, so the music magazine carried you from the early 90s until about... Mid-2000s. Mid-2000s. Yeah. So, and that only died because I just couldn't run it myself anymore because my current business started taking off and I, I couldn't do both, not even close. And, I mean, at that time I was working 16 hours a day. I didn't have the luxury of going to see shitty bands anymore. And, but the magazine was popular. I had hundreds of thousands of monthly readers. I tried selling it to every single publication out there. Nobody wanted it. Nobody. And well, the winds of change were afoot because media has yeah, that, that totally thing, changed. Totally. My father, who was in advertising, said he loved his career. He said he would never do it today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is. It's very interesting to me. I, in that time, right before I got married, I started a website. Right, The word blog did not exist in 2002. I started a different website that all I did is every meal I had, I would chronicle on this website. It was called alprin.com. So you were way ahead of the game. Way oh ahead. Oh my gosh. I would just go on and I would literally write, this morning I had an egg sandwich. These eggs were from a farm in wherever the fuck the farm was. I'm making most of it up. And I would just talk about what I ate. That was it. It was nothing else but what I ate that day. And my wife's family is from, her mother's from Brooklyn, her father's from Libya, right? Her uncle is from, obviously, Libya, because it's her her father's brother, but his wife is from Iraq, 
right? So you can make all the terrorist jokes you want. But the no, food... No, I'm way too deep <laughs> into this very interesting story. <laughs> the food is incredible, right? It's like the Libyan food is a combination of Middle Eastern, Italian, and Moroccan, right? So oh. you, com- you make this crazy combination of flavors. It's insane, and we would eat that all the time. So this was text only, never a text picture? Text only. I don't remember if there were pictures. Maybe. I mean, it was a primitive website built on like AOL Angel websites, Fire. Like something like that. So it was probably, I can't remember. www.angelfire.com with I the website editor. For ran. I mean, I wrote my meals. I, I don't consider running anything. I wrote my meals down on paper on the World Wide Web. And I did that for like a year and built up, I want to say, I call it a fan club, but it was never anything official. And but people would if I missed my lunch that day, I would get emails from random friggin' people in friends' offices. Hey, I'm Jane. I work with Jim in Goldman Sachs. What did you eat for lunch today? Right? I would get these random emails from people I never knew. Referencing other people that you didn't Re- know. No, referencing people. Yeah, sometimes I didn't know or people <laughs> that I didn't people. know. You know Jim and, who's always commenting and, on your blog. And I'm <laughs> like, what the? No, there was no comment section. It was just me writing down what I ate. And I'm like, holy shit, people are reading but this But obviously they thing. had your email. Well, yeah, because there was a contact button. Like, contact yeah, so the me. contact button. Right. Hey, Jim who sends you 33 yeah. emails every day. You know he's eating the same things as you every day? He just has to eat a little later than you do. So what happened was, then I had a kid, right, in 2004. So your first kid was born in 2004, so yeah. 15 years old. Yes. So Boy or a girl? Uh, boy, both boys. Firstborn son. And my wife was like, no more putting shit out there in the world of what we're doing. Ooh, it was very it, taboo back and, then. And I'm like, it's a fucking egg sandwich. Like, what are they going to do? Could you, not even a picture of yourself, nothing. It was just an egg sandwich. But, you know, the fact that you were getting correspondence from actual strangers. Because back then, you got, when you got emails from, it was like from people. Right. It It wasn't like all robots anymore. So when you got emails, it was from people. It was almost like getting a letter in your mailbox. Oh, totally. So that ended. I don't know why I'm telling you that story. Do you remember, Jesse, why I'm bringing up? My personal food blog. Because <laughs> um, I know Nick doesn't. It's interesting. I'll and I don't. That. I don't remember either. <laughs> but anyway, wow. it must wrap somehow into yeah, just television. <laughs> so. It does wrap into television. So I don't remember why I'm telling you that. But now everybody knows. And I've tried to find that website a million times. You can't find so, your own website? Well, no, no. It, it, I stopped paying for it. Yeah, it's uh, not hosted So anywhere, it's not hosted so anywhere. It's and it only, it only lasts for like five years where so you can find this it. this is the, why we need to get a computer because Jesse is somewhat of a computer genius, I think. And like... Uh, no, God. You, you could tell me right now, isn't the internet actually archived? A lot it, of it is. It is. Like there's a, certain, there's a place you can go to find it. The NSA has IT all of it. People. But you can't... I couldn't find it. I also tried to find my music magazine because that's been gone for 10 years and more. And that has it, to be somewhere. No, it's gone. Gone. I asked my old web host, the guy that did everything for me, and he's like, it, it only lasts in the wherever the black hole of the internet is for just a certain amount of years, and then it disappears. So, What was the name of the uh, magazine? Full Throttle Music. Full Throttle Music. It's like what kind of band you Sounds cover? like a lesbian magazine. <laughs> I don't know why you would say that. Um, Full Throttle. <laughs> no, I got that part, Jesse. <laughs> um, when it was full throttle, it was full on hard rock metal. Like, like everything. So early 2000s, you know, metal yeah. is changing. There's different subgenres coming out. Everyone's yep. trying to like Warp Tour was just up and coming and it was crazy. We we lived through the Limp Biscuit years. Oh, Jesus. Right. The early corn years. The, well, corn. Yeah. yeah. The, the corn years. I mean, every band like that. I mean, the biggest band I can say, I mean, I don't want to have any part of breaking them, so to speak, but we did a lot with Disturbed okay. before they were... Well, they're Connecticut-based. No, Chicago. Right? Chicago? What's the Connecticut... Hatebreed, I think, is the Connecticut-based Hatebreed, I think, is from Connecticut, yeah. yeah. We did a lot of stuff with Hatebreed, too, but we did a lot with Disturbed, a lot. And there's two bands that I feel like, like a connection to, not... Again, not because we helped break them, but we were really there from the early days before anyone knew who they were. I mean, I saw Disturbed's first show in New York City. It was me and like five dudes there wow. to see this band that opened up for the band Dope 
at the time. It was me and five dudes. <laughs> that was it. That was I was me. making a drink. That's all I heard when I came back into the it, conversation. It was me and five dudes. And this is how I got into the music business. This is how I got into the music business. Oh, yeah. Scopaletti's like, this is how I got in the, into he, my job, personal training no, no. at this gym. Scope I had starts, to go, me and five dudes. No, that story ends with him in the bathroom giving a blowjob. Scopaletti's yeah, always looking for a Harvey That's how he got Weinstein. his prestigious spot being a trainer where he trains. <laughs> Maybe. Could be. It is a gym. Just because you have those boyish good looks doesn't mean you don't got to put them and in And amazing use. tits. He's got killer tits. He does tits. have really wow. weird pecs. Yeah. They're awesome. It's because he's Italian. There's like, it looks like, I don't know. What does it look like, Nick? Tell me what it looks like. Tell us. It's like this, like you, you might need to get a blood test. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's some kind of hormone imbalance. <laughs> dev- he's had For that blood that test. a guy that works out a lot, he's got like a little bit of like an estrogen breast. He might, he might. So, yeah, Gyno, we gotta, we, gynocomastia. That's too big of a word for me. That's um, that's when like uh, men have a little bit of extra estrogen or something, and it causes them to grow um, uh, enlarged or exaggerated. Is that what they breasts. give transitioning people? No, that's. I mean, yeah, estrogen is something they give transitioning people, and they put them on all kinds of other hormone blockers, and they do all kinds of things to the endocrine system. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not qualified to speak on those things. I was just you just diagnosed commenting on something. Well, <laughs> with, I mean, am with I, words am that I, I don't even know what they are. He has like a very unique um, hood. I mean, you're not wrong to think it. Nick's got nice tits. Exactly. I don't know what else to say. I wouldn't. Exactly. I mean, let's get so off the of next. So after kick, what happened? After what? After kick, what so, happened? So, oh, that's what we started talking about. That why was, it died. Kick was your kick was the. So the, that sort of started the ball rolling for me. Yeah. Um. And then after that, I got the itch to write more like screenplays. I didn't get an. After hanging out with Scopoletti <laughs> in that bathroom, you got the itch. <laughs> oh my God! So much more than an itch. Um, um, so you got the itch to write more. So I, but what happened was I did not like writing with the guy I wrote kick with. It wasn't a good partnership. Nice guy. We just didn't creatively flow right. And that's so, important. If, if the flow's not there, you're not going to put out good totally. work and then it's not worth doing because so, your name's on it forever. Oh, I'm proud of that project. I, I still, to no, this I'm not day, saying anything about that, but I'm saying after the relationship sours, it's not ever worth it to stick around no, because no. your name is on anything that you put out. And right. especially if you're comparing it to something that you think was good that you guys had previously made, how can you live up to it if the relationship's yeah, changed? No, it, Time I, to move on. I couldn't. So I went out and I started interviewing, interviewing other writers that I wanted to write with, not because I couldn't do it myself, but truthfully because I'm lazy when it comes to the writing process. I'm more of a, like, I think we talked about this. You're like an I'm ideas more, guy. I'm like the idea guy. I'll come in after something has started to take shape and then punch it up or you know, look at it and say, this is bad, this is good, let's move this around. I'll build the story structure after the process You're a starts. You're producer-writer. For the most part. Editor. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So I luckily found the guy that I write with to this day. It's now going on, ten, I guess, over 10 years, and we've written dozens of things together. And some awesome projects. I mean, I wrote, I don't know if you guys know who Rudy Sarzo is. Do you know who Rudy Sarzo is? I do know who Rudy Sarzo is. He is a studio musician. Oh, he's way more than that. Well, excuse me. uh, He also played with Ozzy Osbourne Osbourne, and White Snake. Yeah, and then White Snake. And then now uh, he. Quiet Riot. He currently. Yeah, Quiet Riot was the one he was with for the the longest, right? Started out in Quiet Riot with Randy Rhodes. Yep, yes, yes. Randy went to play guitar for Ozzy Osbourne, took him into Ozzy Osbourne's band, and then after Randy died in the plane crash, um, he left Ozzy's band, went into Whitesnake. Well, I think he went back to Quiet Riot, then into Whitesnake, and then he's just been a touring musician. And I, yeah, and I meant no disrespect, disrespect by calling him a studio musician. I was just referring to the fact he's played with a lot. Like Lots if you if you know a well known band from back then, he's played with them. He sat in with them. He is basically well known in oh, very much so he's, in the game. I as, spent a lot of time with him in California. We would just have lunch, and it's amazing how many people would just walk up to him and say hi. In a, in a random shitty restaurant anywhere. 
I mean, now he's in the guest who he played bass for Blue Oyster Cult for a while. He toured with Ronnie James Dio in Dio for a long time before Ronnie died. And we I we wrote his he's book. He's probably one of the most well-known bass players oh, for sure. out there. Bass players don't usually get that much uh, shine. No, certainly in that that type of music. And he's one of the nicest guys in the world. So we we wrote his book off the rails into a screenplay called Off the Rails. Was he involved in the project? Every 10 pages. Every, every step of the way. Yeah. So you had a relationship with him from your music magazine? No. So I met Ran, uh, Rudy, Randy, Rudy. I don't even remember. I was, wor- I was consulting with a New York City-based entertainment company. And they brought me on to help them develop a branding business. And we went out to just a shit ton of people to try to sign them as clients to brand them. So I went out to Rudy just through a mutual friend to try to develop something with him. We didn't even know what at the time. I just knew we wanted to work with Rudy. And that's how the whole thing materialized. Um, And that's what led to writing that project. But that was midway through our writing. We wrote really, I mean, that project, that never went anywhere. Uh, with us. He's working on it now with someone else for a whole bunch of different reasons. Hopefully it comes to fruition for him. Um, That's how these things work. Like I was talking about, there's yeah, no, listen, no I, shame, man. You know, we, we parted ways. It was mutual. It was and, amicable. It was now amicable. Totally fine. It was a little rough for a while, but we're fine. Um, that shit happens, man. I, I, I have nothing against Rudy at all. I hope that thing comes out and someone makes a great movie because it's it it should be made. It, he, Story if you don't know about about him, he was on the bus when the plane that Randy Rhodes was in hit the bus and crashed into the ground and killed Randy Rhodes. And they were best friends. That's how he got into Quiet Riot. That's how he got into Ozzy's band. So his book Off the Rails chronicles that eighteen months, but really it's like the world's best buddy film. Like it's a but it's like imagine stepbrothers in the world of rock and roll, <laughs> right? Like Jeez, I can't even. <laughs> it's a buddy film. It's insane. You should read the book. Um, but that led, or right around the same time we started writing this story, which I still don't even want to talk about because someone's gonna fucking take it. But it's an an amazingly true story based in New Jersey about an attorney that went bad, and did the craziest fucking shit. You would ever, you couldn't, when people say you could not make this shit up, this story is that story. So it's, it's just like the wolf of the courtroom. And so the he, wolf of the bench. So this guy went, he was a criminal defense attorney, started out as a prosecutor, turned, then went private to where he can make some money, started representing rappers. Normal, normal career path. Totally. Until you start representing and rappers. Then so he it started gets representing rappers and he got caught up in that world and wound up. And what years what years was this? Was this during Did, the big hip hop feuds, East West, when rap was no, like really a dangerous thing? No, it was after that. It was more like 2012, 13. I mean the shit that he's in jail for for the rest of his life now happened before that, but we were doing this, writing this in 2012, 13 as it was going down. So he got arrested for killing witnesses in trials that he was representing the defendant for. He killed them himself or he hired someone? No, no, no. He hired guys to kill them. Conspiracy. He was was killing witnesses on trials that he was representing the defendant. Take it a step further. One of it was a cocaine. Your law license for that. You think? This is a Nick Cage movie. (laughs) Oh, no, it's not Nick Cage. I would never put Nick Cage in this movie. Um, (laughs) Sorry, Nick Cage. Um, so he was representing this cocaine dealer. So while the guy's in jail, he's now running the guy's cocaine business. You with me, Breen? That's like some Breaking Bad shit. He's running the cocaine business, murdering the witnesses. So, I think I saw that on Narcos, actually. It could have been. It's, the guy's in jail now for like 35 consecutive life sentences. But that's not it. That's only the beginning. Then he represented a well-known um, pimp but like escort guy that all these politicians were getting wrapped up in hookers represented him. That guy goes to jail. What does he do? He takes over the prostitution ring. So now he's selling drugs, killing witnesses, running a prostitution ring. 
And how old is he at this time? He's mid forties, early fifties. Oh, he's guy. living the dream. So then he just—it's the mortgage crisis, right? So uh, yeah, so like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. He starts buying houses. So he's buying <laughs> houses that, and not buying them, selling them that are not his homes to sell. <laughs> So oh, if you, he's in. So 100%. if you look shit, this shit up, like you'll see people at the time, it's title insurance fraud. They would sell a house they don't own. Holy shit. Right? That was what? In arrears? So it was repossessed it, by the bank I don't remember empty? the details. But so we went out, got all the, the court filings on this story, wrote it into a screenplay, attached some talent because it was that juicy and good. And when I'm, I don't want to talk about who the talent was, but we attached some decent talent to this project. My friend, who was an attorney at the law firm that was representing this guy, and one of the other people involved in this case, literally calls me up and is like, stop. I'm like, what do you mean stop? And this dude's already killed everybody. And he was like, you should not pursue this. Like, don't do it. Like, they're bad, bad, bad fucking people. So we were like, me and my writing partner and a couple of guys involved were like, Fuck that shit. We're doing it. Right. Jesus. And then we thought better of it a few months later. And we basically went the Goodfellas route and wrote it like Goodfellas. So, you know, Goodfellas is obviously a true story within reason. Everybody except Henry Hill has changed. Correct. Right. So we wrote we rewrote this story in that vein. And we went out with that for a long time. And, you know, shit happens. That may be worth revisiting. I think that oh, story needs I, to be told. It's true. In Someone's going to tell it. It's going to be like a Law and Order miniseries. It, it will. Someone's uh, doing it. It deserves it's, much it's more. So, what else do you want to know? I want to know everything. So, from there, where did um, your next project take you? Have you ever had anything that's been made uh, and come to fruition? Depends on what you mean by made. I've, we've had many pilots made, never aired on television. For what networks? We had a project at OWN that was an OWN, Oprah's network. We Oprah had money, though. What? Oprah money, though. Well, they didn't give us any, ultimately. Um, we had one at um, Animal Planet. We had one at Spike. We had one at Discovery ID. And, you know, I look at people who are like, oh, you may have a perspective that that wasn't successful, but... I started developing non-scripted television literally for shits and giggles. Literally. Like everything else I've done in the development side of entertainment was more as a more for me as a personal accomplishment than actually any hope or need to actually have it be made. So you had right? mentioned that what has allowed you to do this and really kind of invest your time in this and unhinged comedy and all the other things that you really enjoy pursuing, which is great because being able to wake up every day and do something that you enjoy is something that a lot of people can't do who are struggling to, uh, you know, just put food on the table. And, you know, you can kind of let your creative juices flow. So kind of this business that you're in that allows you to do this, uh, it's your business, obviously. You said you have never worked for anybody. Uh, what is this business? I understand it has something to do with licensing and creating yeah, products. This is now going into the most boring part of this conversation. No, this is this is very interesting. It kind of so I started it, it kind this of provides business, a little insight into the entrepreneurial part um, of you. In two thousand and four, we started this business. I started it with two other guys. Um, and basically what we do in the most simplest terms is I license intellectual property from entertainment companies for certain categories of product, right? So like your Caroline's coffee mug. If that had a Batman logo on it, 90% chance my company makes it and sells it to Walmart or Amazon or whoever. So that's basically what we do. I, I, that's why I'm How many there. units did you guys move last month? Are you out of your fucking mind? I have <laughs> no idea. I don't know. A lot. I have 50 people work for us. We have a lot. Of, we move so you employ guys. people? Yeah, yeah, 50 of them. Good. 49. Yeah, that's good. And that's admirable. It's like you have. Um, so as a businessman, obviously, you have a responsibility to these people because these people depend on the job that you create to put food on their table. Um, so you're in a way you're giving back to the community, too, through your efforts. I mean, we started a business and we've been lucky with our business, you know, to be able to employ 
that many people is, you know, it's not the, it's a headache, it's stressful, but it is what it is. You know, we started, we only had three people. It was me, well, four people. Me, the two guys I started it with, and like one other person. And then we didn't really grow substantially for a long time. And up until five years ago, we probably, we've had less than 10 people working for us. So we've been lucky to grow a business relatively fast to employ 50 people-ish. That's really awesome. You know. That's great. So all those people have health insurance. <laughs> so now you don't do any of the manufacturing. That's something that you have done. We don't own the manufacturing. No, no some, somewhere else. In, in-house, you just kind of do the logistics and the deals with the stores to put it on the shelves. And We the, do it, everything in-house. I mean, in my company. The design. We design everything. Products. We pick the product. We, de- we develop the product. We make it. You know, it's all third-party manufactured overseas. But everything else is us. We have an in-house sales team. We have out-of-house sales. We have in-house production. We have, everything is done in-house. This is a company that sells nationally or worldwide? North America, mainly. North America, mainly. So you were so drop that's shipping. all of North America. That's Canada, Mexico, the United States. It's the northern part of North America. So Canada and the United <laughs> States? Yeah, a little in Mexico, but mostly Canada, U.S. I mean, 90% of our business is U.S. That's very interesting. So having all these connections, you're in the business world. Uh, You've been in and out of the entertainment world. Uh, We cannot let you get out of here because in the entertainment world, we know that people love to schmooze people and people love to impress people. We know you've been to a couple parties. (laughs) We can't let you get out of here without telling us one crazy story about a party. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I was going to ask, like, if you're coming up in the metal scene in the late '90s, early 2000s, you're going to hardcore shows. You're seeing people getting their head bashed, and you're seeing all sorts of crazy shit. Everything you can imagine. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want to hear more about that. Like, I mean, my wife to this day tells, whenever this comes up, she tells, her story is that I took her to see Slipknot at CBGB's. Was this like right when Iowa came out? It no. It was um, the second. Slipknot record, whatever that one was called. Okay. Not Iowa. Because um, Iowa was the first one. No, Iowa was the second one. Slipknot, Slipknot was the Iowa first. Iowa was what made them huge. But then that was the second one, I okay. think. And either way, it was whatever. I actually don't recall it being at CBGB's, but she tells it as it was at CBGB's. I know it was a very, very, very small club. And we walked in the door and if you've ever been to CBGB's, which you probably haven't been because you guys are much younger than me, um, it's not much wider than this room and about four times the size, right? Not even a joke. Like maybe 20 feet wide by 100 feet. Jesus. And, you know, Slipknot's got nine guys in the band. They're on a stage doing what Slipknot does. My wife lasted 20 seconds. We didn't get 10 feet in the door, and she's like, we're getting the fuck out of here. So I had no fun that night, and I love Slipknot. Um, dude, I could tell you. I, I mean, want to know about a night that you did have fun. I want to know about a night that you <laughs> left the wife at home. No offense to her. I'm sure she's a wonderful well, woman. I mean, you know, there's two you things said, that come to mind. One is, this is long before we got married, and when I was promoting nightclubs in Boston, the band Pigface came to town. You know the band Pigface? I've never heard of Pigface. They're, they're industrial like a ministry or KMFDM or Nine Inch Nails. They've done a bunch of stuff with with Trent. And they were playing at this club that I worked at in Boston. And me and all my friends who were into that shit were like, we're going. And we got crazy messed up, like crazy on lots of different things. (laughs) I go in the bathroom and I thought it would be a good idea to drop another hit of acid. Thought that would be a good idea. Always a great idea. Right? And so, so I knew that would flip brain out. So, um, you know, did band came on stage. We're up in the front. On acid though. Jesus. Oh, it was, I said another. He said another. So <laughs> no. yeah, that's implying so, you had already dropped one. You didn't even say that. Sorry. So, so, and again, you know, totally just obliviated. I have a picture on my, I'll show it to you of that night. You'll be like, holy fuck. Um, it's one of the only pictures I have from my time in college. 
and it's the, best. It's the best one. We may so. or may not, depending <laughs> on if we have permission, link it in the description of the... Uh, oh, I'll give it to you. It's great. Yeah, it's we're awesome. going to link it in the description um, of the episode, so if you want to see it... It's too big. I don't have a picture of what I'm about to tell you. So, band comes on, and it's a crazy mosh pit, and it, we're just going nuts. And I worked there, so I knew everybody, and I wound up on the stage, right? So I'm on the stage now with the band, and... I took out of the lead singer's hand with what I thought was a loaf of bread, <laughs> right? So I'm on stage. What was it, a baby? With a loaf of what I think is a loaf of bread, swinging it around. <laughs> uh-uh. Like I'm at this loaf of bread, and I've you know whatever wind up off stage, and as it turns out, it was a huge like three foot dildo. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. We had a picture of that. Wrong baguette. It was the wrong baguette is right. <laughs> the, wrong the wrong baguette. baguette. I went to the wrong bakery. So that was one. I mean, definitely not that Christian ago. bakery. No. Definitely. I don't know what bakery you buy that at. Actually, there's a donut shop that sells a giant dick donut. We talked about it with Alyssa the other day. Is it local? No. It's, it's called Voodoo. Voodoo. Yeah. Voodoo in oh, Oregon. Yeah, Portland. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I had that donut. <laughs> In Austin, Texas, with my kids. Is there one in San Francisco? I don't know. I don't know. There's one in LA. Okay, that's where I've been to it then. Yeah, there's one in LA um, at the City Walk at Universal. You just opened. Uh, you just opened the door to. to <laughs> no, that's all I'm giving you. <laughs> that's all I'll give we you. We can't today. have one more. I I could tell you. Well, one more. It's. Right now, right so now I'll the podcast you, has I'll, just deteriorated for me begging Greg <laughs> to keep talking because, <laughs> folks, um, I hope you've enjoyed this. I'm sure you've enjoyed this. This is a rare look into a man of few words, uh, many actions, but few words. You are getting something that no one else has gotten I, and probably never will. I, I know this, and I'm very And you're really the only dude I would actually do this for. And all the listeners are grateful wow. because this is, this is huge. Who better? Not the dildo story. Not the dildo story. Oh, that, no, I, no. That, lots of people know the dildo story. Um, the, <laughs> the other one, people don't believe. The acid I put in his drink is just kicking it, in, obviously. Yeah, it would be amazing. The, the other one, no one believes that I wasn't on anything, but I wasn't. I was at the Gra- Grateful Dead show in Atlanta in 1989, and... We, you know, when you were out to camp at dead shows, and I traveled with the dead for a long time. And I'm in Atlanta, walking through the parking lot in the middle of the afternoon, right? March 27th, 1989. You can, if you have a computer, you can Google that date. When you say date. you traveled with the dead for a long time, I can't just let that slip by uh, unnoticed. That's not just a side note that you throw in there. <laughs> um, when you say you traveled with the dead, you traveled as somebody that just followed the band, or yeah. you traveled oh, no, with no, 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 no. the I tra- dead? I, no, 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 no. I just toured, followed the dead. On Brody? Tour. No. Went to see you the show. You literally just Got went in the car, to see all drove their around. shows. How old were yeah. you at this time? Oh, from when I was in high school through Jerry dying. Okay. So. Fair enough. So it was 1979, you said? <laughs> Fuck off. It's an 89 ass. 89. No, well, I, I'm just trying to get you back into the story, brother. So, no, this is not a drug story. In, at least, it wasn't. So I'm walking to the parking lot, and this girl is freaking out, right? Definitely in the middle of an acid meltdown. Some right? sort of Maybe episode. mushroom, but some kind of episode yeah, of hallucinogens. Don't really do that. No, right. Yeah. So I, I think She's it was She's in acid. the middle of an, a lysergic so, acid meltdown. Freaking out, right? And I'm like, and I'm walking that way to kind of see what's going on, you know, and I was, I was sober. And I'm like, maybe I could help. Probably can't, but I'm walking that way. <laughs> and then maybe all, I help. all of a sudden... <laughs> Between two cars, towards this girl, Jesus Christ. I shit you not, this dude, who I to this day say I saw Jesus, and I'm not even Catholic, but I saw Jesus on this day in Atlanta, the 27th of March, 1989, walk up to this fucking girl in the parking lot, losing her shit, put his hand on her head for like two seconds, walked away, that girl left fine. So you saw acid, Jesus. I <laughs> this dude also tore it and followed the dead. <laughs> well, you know, there's I, at least one or two I, acid Jesuses that follow the dead. I don't care. I saw. I saw it. I literally witnessed it from 20 feet away 
freaked me out, and I left, and then he was gone. Gone. Like, completely gone. Never saw him again at that show, or all weekend, and he just cured this girl of her ass. So you were going to multiple shows every week. You literally followed the dead. I followed they the dead. They play three shows I was in at Cincinnati. those three shows. You were at the three shows in Cincinnati in 92. Yes. Not Cincinnati 92. That was probably 89, 90. But yeah. Cincinnati. It was really Cincinnati? Oh, yeah. been Cincinnati, yeah. Look at me. I, oh, my God. What do you think you're messing with here? I don't even know, but I'm channeling something. It really must be. I channeled that out of your brain with the microdose that I took before the show. I am always going to microdose from now on. This is amazing. Oh, my gosh. So you said I'm going to get a tidbit that no one's ever gotten. No, this entire thing. The Jesus story. No, no. Everyone knows the Jesus story, too. I'm saying this interview, no one else is getting. Oh, I know Ever. That. I thought you meant I was going to get some You're just brushing it off like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I got it. I told you a dildo story. He said everyone knows the everyone dildo story. Everyone does know the dildo story. It's true. Now everybody knows the <laughs> dildo story. <laughs> hey, Greg, is there anything that you want to plug that you have coming up? I mean, everything with you, man. You got the plugs. Jeez, <sighs> I know that uh, Greg is going to be at Fairfield Craft Ales in Stratford. Oh, that's right. You're not on that show. With the Unhinged Comedy Show. Why are you not on that show? Because I am going to be in Greenwich Village at Greenwich Village Comedy Club. Oh, that's Seating at 5.30 p.m. Yeah, so we have a show at Fairfield Craft Ales on Saturday this week at 7 o'clock. And I'm going to forget everybody on the bill. Nick Scopoletti, Katie Vandermeulen. Why does everybody she, have such a hard time with her name? It's because so honestly, it's simple. It's letters. Vander Malin. Okay. Vander Malin. Katie's going to be sounds there. Sounds just how it's spelled. That sounds like a felony. Yeah, it does. Sounds like a you're you're name. being charged with Vander Malin. Third degree, third <laughs> third degree Vander Malin. It's a uh, it's a class B felony under Connecticut Health and Safety Code and Florida. <laughs> um, Federal. Giancarlo. Biondino. The most dangerous man in comedy, Gene McKenna. The second most dangerous man in comedy. Yeah, right. You're the first. Um, who else? I, I don't remember. People. Other people that are funny. And then the same thing on September 13th. We haven't booked it except for you, right? You're on that one. I am now. No, you are. Aren't you? September for the next show. 19th, uh, oh. 13th at Fairfield Craft Dales. Yeah. I'll definitely. Lo- I'd love to do it. I'm pretty sure we talked about it. Um. No? My people never told me anything oh. about it. I don't have anything you in my You gotta fire calendar. your secretary. She sucks. But uh, she does suck mm. like a Hoover. That's the only sh- one-off shows we have right now. We have Monday nights at the Sea Grip in Fairfield. 1144 Reef Road. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You have the address down. Solid. What's the zip code? I don't know, but it's a great place to come because we have $3... Uh, soul bottled beers. We have $3 domestic drafts. We have $4 bottled Coors Lights and Miller Lights. And we have 50 cent wings every Monday night at the Sea Grape. Show starts at 8.30. Is all of that true? There's a sign up front, but I had a buddy That is 100% and they, true. they didn't know. In fact, we had a show. Last Wait, time out. We had a show last, last night. night. Uh, two last, weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, they we had a show last night, night where... Uh, it was a special show. We had a headliner come in from out of town, a friend of the owner's. He did some very interesting comedy. Um, he, interesting. Wh- he, he lived up to his name, uh, the Dirty Boy of Comedy. Yep, he lived he up to it. He was a dirty boy. He was dirty. Funny in certain circles. But the thing was, all of our comics, uh, Ben Kirsch, the young, the, the young and hilarious. Hairless Ben Kirsch. Hilarious. Yeah, he was fucking funny. How was Courtney Davis? Hysterical. She was Best that we've seen of hers. Cody Marino, always a killer. Always good. Giancarlo murdered, and then fucking Sam, Sam just tore the, the fucking place apart. down. There was I, no way anyone could have followed that shit I and apologize for picking up my set list a couple of times. I wrote it in pencil. I'll never do that again. <laughs> I don't know how you even could see it. It's fucking, you have to have Superman vision to even look at that piece of paper and get anything off of it. So that was something that we did, and, and like we were talking about earlier, we will be bringing in other headliners. We will, yeah. And we will be having these shows not even necessarily on a Monday. That's correct, and not necessarily at the Seagrape. Monday is at the Seagrape, for sure. So Unhinged Comedy is, is something that is, that is a promotion that is all over Connecticut. Yeah, I New mean, that's, our, that's my thing. Like, if, <laughs> that's your vision. If 
it is my vision. It's not just to be a one-trick pony. And, you know, the thing is, I don't want to step on Vinny Brand's toes of this dress factory. Obviously, we would never be able to do that anyway. So it's not like we're looking to no, get it's not there. It's two it's, different mics. It's, 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 it's two it's, totally it's different not, things. It's not even about that because Vinny Brand has done something amazing by making comedy something that's talked about in this area, by coming into Bridgeport, putting in a beautiful comedy club, and bringing some big-name national headliners into Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yeah, So, I mean, they just had Dice there. They've had Andrew Santino there. Uh, Brad Williams is coming. Jay Moore's there in a couple weeks. Tim Dillon's coming. Uh, Big Jay Okerson is coming in October. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... He's bringing the hit list of people. Shout out to Vinny Brand. And that, because he's made comedy so relevant, it makes it ripe for people like you. For sure. And comedians like myself. Yep. You know, the thing is, the open mic circuit is cool. Right, nothing against. I mean, Cody runs a killer open mic in South Norwalk, and uh, Wednesday is at our house in eight o'clock, eight thirty. It's one twelve Washington Street in Norwalk, Connecticut. I mean, so you know, it's different. Like, I, I all respect to open mics. That's how guys cut their teeth. That's how you refine your material. You figure out what works and doesn't work. You know, we're gonna continue to do our mic on Mondays. It's more curated than just open mic setup, but truly, we're. Anyone, anyone is welcome to come. So you email, yep. uh, is it Greg at Unhinged? Uh, Greg.unhinged at gmail.com. Greg.unhinged at gmail. You can email him to get on that show. Or you can go to our Instagram at, at unhinged, CT, unhinged comedy CT. Dot, no, unhinged comedy CT. <laughs> unhinged comedy CT. At I need a, a plug for Nick <laughs> on Instagram. And. Oh, the podcast, our podcast. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say on the, top of that, you can hear him on the Mangina Dialogues. I know I did the podcast with him. It was amazing. It was amazing. I just listened to the episode with Alyssa Goji, who is absolutely hilarious. The Quinnipiac banana girl or whatever the hell she was. That's, that's it. Banana girl. You make up your own mind. It's made up. No, it's not made up. It's true. No, my mind is made up. I know. I was going to say, she's got the banana costume. Not just the peel. So do you always record at the Sea Grape for Mangina? We're going to try for now, as long as they'll have us and as long as it's not too rowdy. You know, we do it on Sunday afternoons, like, well, midday Sunday. Speaking of recording at the Sea Grape or recording at a public venue... I think it would be a lot of fun to have a uh, podcast that we both release one time. It would be partnership for a single podcast live. Oh, so we're that's on that's in the cards. I'm just waiting for um, our podcast host to launch their live capabilities. Well, I'm talking about with a live audience. I mean, I am, too. But okay. I want to do it live. Live, live. And then do it on the stage. I already talked to Steve. He's totally down with it. So well, we I would have love to, to be a part of that, do that And I'm just waiting for our guys to, well, not our guys, Podbean, where we host our podcast, to launch their live capabilities. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting on Podbean as well. Yeah, easy. Good. Very, very good. But yeah, that's in the cards. Obviously, you'll be on it. I mean, that's absurd to think not. If we're going live, you're going live with us. Oh, dude. I'm ready. I was born ready for that. I know it. So you could also it. come out uh, August 31st to 158 Bridgeport Avenue in Milford, Connecticut. It's at the Grove. It's a great new venue. It's opened up next to Bohemian High, which is a great shop with interesting clothing, unique, unique artifacts. What's They've their also address? also got some glassware. What? If I say <laughs> that their address is... 162 I don't know I could be lying so I don't even know their address I don't have to know their address you just go to 152 Bridgeport Avenue or excuse me 158 Bridgeport Avenue and there's the Grove and Bohemian High right there they're right next to each other in Milford in Milford I don't even know that is it's right before the Bridgeport or excuse me the Stratford Devon Bridge is there a music store there yes Route 1 Guitars is right there right next door Right across the street from Route 1 Guitars. Great guitar store. Great people in Route 1 Guitars in Milford. Serious. The woman mm. who is the owner, right. her and her husband, yeah. 
she is an actress. Yes, she is. Yeah, I talked to her for a while when She's I was in there. She's a real actress. Yeah. She's a SAG AFTRA member. Yeah, I I mean I took my son in there. He's a guitar what is her player. Name? Is it? Uh, I don't remember. Eric? I don't know. Go, I don't remember. Um, but she's very nice. Um, took my son in there. He's a killer guitar player, and talked to them for a while. Good guitar shop. Real good. I've always thought my backup plan would be to get into SAG after if all fails. <laughs> you just hustle for two years. You get in. You know. <laughs> you do two commercials. You know, it's funny. Year. So I, d- you know, we didn't talk much about the TV shit that I I did, but for a while. People were joking that I was the most sought-after, produced, unsold <laughs> TV <laughs> person in the business. <laughs> like I had more projects running around with different agent, like big agents on different projects with great shit, and um, I couldn't. Like I, at one point, I just I've had every bad thing that you hear in the industry about projects dying or whatever happen, and then I just gave up. Now, did you ever try to... Were you ever in L.A. at one point? I mean, I spent half my time there. Okay. Oh, that was something else I wanted to ask you before we get off. So, you are... Were you born in Connecticut? Where were you born? Uh, Well, I was born in New York City. Uh, Well, really, Westchester. I grew up in New Jersey. You grew up in New Jersey. Northern Jersey. Northern New Jersey. Okay. And then you went to college... Boston. In Boston. Did you you ever... Where else have you lived? (laughs) I mean, full-time lived, I've only ever lived, I grew up in New Jersey, lived in New Jersey until I went to college, lived in Boston for four years, moved to New York City, from New York City moved to Connecticut. But growing up, my dad, um, you know, I get my entrepreneurial shit from my dad for sure. You are definitely farting right now. Oh my God. God, that is it's literally like watching a caveman give birth. That's one of the most disturbing <laughs> things I've seen happen in a long time. It, it looked like he just had his appendix explode. You know when you see something, you don't really quite process it immediately. Like, I don't know what's going on right now. You know, he has had some sort of stomach out of surgery. No, out of nowhere? <laughs> yeah, okay, put your shirt down. Oh, my God. Jesse's getting I'm hard. Getting, I'm getting flashed some gun. Oh, my God. <laughs> now I have no idea what I was saying. <laughs> I want to go home, but this is my home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that was... Amazing. So my dad, what for about ten years? <laughs> <laughs> this is I should. This is I should just take this to round two. We should do this again. Oh my god! I, don't, I think this has to end. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Check this out, Craig. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for coming on. I've had a great time. I hope everybody's learned a lot about you. Now that we have a little bit of insight into why you do what you do, hopefully the people that support Unhinged Comedy and the people that are going to support Unhinged Comedy feel even a little bit closer to you right now. I feel so much fucking closer to you right now. I mean, I've never... That was amazing. That was a great way to end. That was well, a great way to end. I thought you were going to die. That. I did. I thought you were dying. <laughs> to anybody listening, I literally thought was the that we'd lost Nick Breen. I had this conversation with Mike Carl the other day. I'm like, I'm like, we're not losing Nick Breen, and now we're fucking losing Nick Breen in front of my fucking face. I don't know oh, what that Nick was. Nick Breen's not going anywhere for a long God time. That you Is put that your t- pants back on. The face of that guy makes when his belt's uncomfortable. I thought he was going to take his suicide joke and do it. I'm like, oh my (laughs) god, he's taking his belt off and he's doing it in front of us. It was like watching a horror movie when the ghost does some sort of ritual. (laughs) I thought I just saw The Exorcist. Greg. I love you, Nick Breen. Thank you, brother. You too, Jesse. This was great. Thank Uh, you so much. Have a good night, guys. uh, Peace. Bye.